Let me just pray for a moment before I get into the word this morning. Father, we're so grateful. We love, we love gathering with you. We love gathering with one another. We love that you are with us always, and we love to come together and worship you and connect with you and connect in community. Father, I ask this morning that you would have your way, that you would remind us of your goodness. You would remind us of what you have done for us and in us, and that, God, we would not keep this good news to ourselves. Father, that we would take what you have done and it would naturally overflow out of our lives as we walk down these streets and we love on this city and our spheres of influence that you have placed us in intentionally, God, where we are. So open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to hear what you want to say, what you have to say this morning as I bring your word in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I want to read to you from Psalm 34, verse 8, before I get into the rest of the message. Psalm 34, verse 8, it says this, Taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I want you to go back to that moment for yourself for a moment. Just close your eyes. Go back to that moment where God was no longer something you read about. God was no longer head knowledge. Jesus wasn't a doctrine or something that you heard about on Easter. Go back to that moment where for the first time you tasted and you saw and you knew that he was good. Just go back to that very first moment. A moment that David even talks about, a prophesied about, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Go back to that moment where you tasted for the first time. Okay, you can open your eyes. You know, I don't know about you, but when I tasted and I saw that he was good, I couldn't keep it to myself. I still can't keep it to myself. I am so madly in love with the one that I finally tasted and saw that he was good, that it wasn't head knowledge, it wasn't rules, it wasn't law, it wasn't religion, it was a relationship with one that was so good and so kind and that he was with me and is with me always. You know, we had a neighbor, and um, her name was Jenny. And she lives in the, had lived in the building from um, the time she was 14 years old. She would sit on the stoop and she was, we would call her neighborhood watch because she literally knew every single person's name. She could tell you, well, there's an FBI agent that lives across in that one. I'm like, well, that's good. I feel a little safe, (laughs) you know? And she knew every single name. Every single person in the neighborhood knew Jenny. And she sat on our stoop every single day, especially when it was warm outside. And um, oftentimes what she would do when our windows were open, we'd be having breakfast and all of a sudden we could hear Jenny, Sammy! Sammy! And she'd be yelling in our window and getting our attention. And, and um, Sammy would go, do you have money for me? I'm like, Sam, why? Why is this the first thing? But she's like, don't worry about it, Andy. Like, I'd be like, please stop asking her for money. But she loved giving him money. So she always had a dollar and always gave it to him every single day. He had more money than all of my children. And, um, and, and, and uh, you know, she, she lived there, like I said, from 14 years old. But, you know, we, we grew in relationship with her. Mom and dad moved into this building way before um, my husband and I did. We live in the same building. My mom and dad are right here. We live in the same apartment building as my mom and dad. How great is that? <laughs> and uh, we treat it like it's one house to the detriment of the rest of our neighbors. Um, <laughs> they're like, please be quiet. Um, <laughs> 
And so um, mom and dad lived there long before, and they would just love on Jenny and her brother Joey. They would just love on them. They've lived their rent-controlled apartment for a very long time, and mom and dad would just love on them and share God with them. And, and then we moved in, and our kids would just sit out on the stoop with Jenny in the summer and play harmonicas and get to know every. My kids know everyone in the neighborhood now, too, because of Jenny. And you know what? Year after year, as she would sit on the stoop, we would say, hey, Jenny, why don't you, why, why don't you come to church with us? Why don't you jump in the car? We'll take you. We'll drive you there. And she's like, oh, no, that's okay, you know. And we'd take time, and, and when her back was hurting, we'd pray for her. When she was in need, we'd pray with her. We'd sit on the stoop. We'd let her talk. She'd talk to us. And then guess what? She never stepped foot in church with us, but she told everybody else in our neighborhood to come to our church. <laughs> she would say, they're ministers. They're ministers. And she told everybody to come and see. She was telling everyone to come and see these guys and you know, it was last summer, and um, Jenny, Jenny got ill, and she got cancer. And so we would pray for her all the time. We, we would stop. We'd pray. Dad and Mom often would go and take care of her. We'd bring them our leftover food on Thanksgiving. We are making sure, like, we are taking care of them. And it got to the end of her life, and she was in a hospital. And, you know, Mom and Dad were away, and they're like, if you can go, go and see her. And so we took a moment. And we went out to a hospital, and she was quarantined, so we washed our hands, put all the stuff on that we needed to, and went on in and saw her. And you know when someone's close to eternity, you can see it. And you actually feel it in the room as well. And if you see, you see. <laughs> and I remember walking in there. There was a few things that I saw going on in the room, and Paul and I knew before we went in there, we need to make sure that she is good and right with Jesus. Because we've had so much fun with her here on earth that we want to play with her as well. We want, I want to stoop with Jenny in heaven. And so we asked her the question. We took a moment, and she could hardly speak. And we asked her, we said, Jenny, are you right with God? Are you in good and right relationship? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? And she looked at us, and she nodded. And so we prayed, and we, we made sure, we're just like, can we pray a prayer with you? And she's like, yes. And she nodded, and she couldn't speak completely. Thank you for listening the to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City so or will be visiting the and New York we walked out of that room please be our guest later. on Sunday. She slipped into for service eternity. times and locations, please visit Liberty and you know, Church NYC. We thought about as a family, I mean, we love this woman. <laughs> we love her brother. He's still with us. But I thought about... What if we kept this good news to ourselves? What if over these three, four years that we had with Jenny on the stoop, we didn't tell her about the goodness of God. We didn't pray for her. We didn't share with her. We didn't go to that hospital at the last moment just to make sure. <laughs> you know, we are to live lives that say, come and see. Come and see. Taste and see that he is oh so good. See, the good news that we have within us, the good news that we walk around with, the good news that we can spread every single day through praying for our neighbor or our coworker or inviting them along into relationship and connection with the community that we have and the people that we love, sharing what we actually have is good news to somebody today. It's good news that someone needs to hear. And, and the good news is an invitation to Christ's love personally. That this door is always open, and our hope is through this series that we're walking through right now. The one that we are doing is that you would be equipped and activated to invite others. 
both into community and to church and to be a part of what we all get to taste and see and experience, but also to experience God's presence, his power, his love that is fiercely after them. And you are a part of that plan and people in your life. You're a part of that plan of opening up the door to his great love for them. And my prayer is that you would be stirred, that you would not just be inspired, that you would be equipped and activated. Activation means to go out and do. That you're not like, oh, thanks for all of this information today. I really appreciate it. See you next Sunday. It's like, I have got to give this away. I've got to do something with what I have been given that we would tell people, taste and see, because you guys, we look around and people are tasting and seeing many things that are not the goodness of God. And oftentimes even we are tasting and seeing things that are not in his goodness, but when we remind ourselves and come back to him and go, ah, oh, gosh, why do I veer off? Why do I look to something or someone else? Why do I try something else when you are so good and you are so kind? Oh, that we would live lives that show people to taste and see. Taste and see that he is good. How many of you know, I mean, all of us, one moment can change everything in our lives. One moment. But how many of you know that oftentimes it's moment after moment after moment that leads you to a moment of transformation, a moment of revelation, a moment of walking through a door into a life with God? You know, I was thinking about this as I prepared this message this week of how grateful I am for my big sister. I'm second in the line of four kids the sisters were born first, and then the two brothers, and so I had my older sister, who, you know, uh, growing up, she was too perfect for me, and I was like, whatever, you know, um, got all the good grades, and it was just like such a beautiful human, always, and she is still one of the most beautiful humans. <laughs> she is so kind and so thoughtful, and I remember at 19 years old, studying at the University of Washington, going out clubbing and partying and being crazy every Friday and Saturday night, and my sister, every single Sunday morning, she would show up, not call, because, you know, cell phones were not a thing, because I'm that old, at that time, and I would ignore phone calls on my landline, and so, or emails, or anything, and um, she would show up, and she would come upstairs and be like, I'm here, and I'm like, I hate you right now, I hate you so much, <laughs> I was hungover. I didn't want to talk about what I had done the night before. I was in a dark place. But every single Sunday, she showed up with her then boyfriend, who was now her husband, and they would drive me in the car to church every single week. And I would stand in the presence of God pretending it wasn't affecting me. And I'm like, this is so dumb. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Standing there in the presence of God week after week after week. These were the days of anybody ever heard of Darlene Check and Shout to the Lord? This is how old I am. Thank you, Philip, for that passion. Yes. <laughs> Philip will be up here later <laughs> to bring some more passion. But, you know, I, I, she gave me a CD. Once again, heard of those? Anyone? Um, she gave me a CD, and every night with my headphones plugged into my CD player because my roommate wouldn't have appreciated it, I would put on that, that um, CD, and there was this song on it called I Will Never Be the Same Again. See, people are, Mark, thank you. There's a few that are really with me. Some of you are like, I got to go Google this. I have no idea what she's talking about. And um, I remember I would put that on and I would weep. I would weep 
because in his presence there was something about tasting and seeing. Look, I hadn't given my life fully over to him, but the relentless nature of a sister who kept saying, come and see, and would give me worship. And then I went home that summer after you know, uh, my best friend's mom passed away and my mom and dad were in an amazing place in their life where everything was turning around for them. And they said, Andy, come and see. You've got to come with us. You've got to come to this, this youth camp, this youth night. And I was always acting like, ugh, okay, <laughs> you know. But really inside I was so desperate for all of these things that they had because they were really changed and happy and good. And in this place where I'm like, why don't I have that? And I went that night, and I remember the song. Once again, I'm going to bring back to some oldies. Delirious. See, I just love how you're like. (laughs) And the song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. Come on, guys. Come on. Come with me. Someone start singing. No, I'm just. (laughs) Come on, (laughs) Philip. He's like, he would. He is. Um, And I remember standing in that song. And what was so beautiful about it, it was so easy to sing, right? I could sing of your love forever. It was literally over and over again. And in the presence of God, I was tasting and seeing. I'm like, okay, this love. See, I've been getting love or thinking it was love from everything and everywhere else. But because of the relentless nature of people in my life that kept saying, come and see, taste and see, I stood in his presence and I saw that he was good. And I remember there was someone speaking that night. And when they spoke, they said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. And I ran to the front awkwardly. (laughs) But that was how good I saw that he was. I didn't care how ridiculous I looked. I ran to the front. I was like, I want this, (laughs) whatever this is. (laughs) And from that moment, you know, someone, people always ask me, how did you know you'd be in ministry? I was like, well, we're all in ministry, first of all. Um, but the thing for me was, is when I fell in love, I was like, I don't want to do anything else but build whatever you are building, God. And so I gave my life to him, and it didn't stop there. I was grateful for the people that said, come and see, taste and see. And I didn't want to stop there. Chelsea and I, I don't know if you know Chelsea, she's here this morning, but Chelsea's on our staff now, which, gosh, four years ago, you would have laughed if I said, Chelsea's going to be on our staff one day. You would have been like, no, no, not Chelsea. No, Chelsea needs help. No, no, no. <laughs> Chelsea was telling me, she said, you know, I'm really grateful. She goes, I was coming to church intermittently. You know, I loved it. And she goes, and when I was here, I'd worship. But then, you know, I'd get a boyfriend and see you later or whatever that looked like. Sorry, Davis. Um, <laughs> but... She was talking about how, you know, her, something would happen outside of church, and she'd be like, oh, I can't be around these people. But she had some come-and-see people in her life. Even after she had kind of stepped foot into community and into a life with God, she's like, do I really want to let all of this go? Do I really want to give up this life? Do I really want to repent and turn from my ways and completely give it all to Jesus? She had annoying people that kept texting her, going, hey, I miss you. Let's hang out. Hey, why don't you come? I missed you today. You weren't in church. I want to see you. Let's hang out. She's like, oh, my gosh. But the relentless nature of people that noticed she was missing that noticed she wasn't around, that kept saying, come and see, and I look at Chelsea's life now, and I'm like, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know that this was Chelsea. If I told you Chelsea used to be like this, you'd be like, that's not true, because Chelsea is like a crazy, worship-passionate human being that is amazing and on our staff and giving her life to build the church. But there were people in her world that didn't stop saying, come and see, taste and see. 
Who is that for you? Who is in your world? Because what I realized is the way that these people loved me, the way my mother and father loved me and my sister, and the way that people loved Chelsea, and those people that you know that are in your world that you keep loving, is what did God do? It says this in Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while our backs were still turned. Who is in your life? Their back is still turned. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on the one that maybe comes to church once every two months and they're struggling and they don't necessarily want to be a part of community because Chelsea was saying to be fully part of community meant that people were going to ask me hard questions. So to fully engage and fully put yourself in there means like transparency, means like, oh, please stop talking. And you know what? Don't give up on those people. Don't give up on those people because while their backs are still turned, are you showing them who God is? Are you showing them his love? Are you saying, come and see, taste and see. I know you're tasting a million other things and you're seeing a million other things right now. But if you would just taste and see that he is good, your whole life would change. And it's so unfair when we keep this to ourselves. It's so selfish. I'm sorry. But there's a city out there that is dying to have what we have. We've got to get over our fears and we've got to step over the line. We've got to love. People are not projects. They are children of God that he is longing to bring home. I think about how when so many people told me, come and see, I think about Tanya, who is one of my closest friends, and how I remember showing up at a party not long after. It was the summer of 99. Don't worry, I was sober. <laughs> but I showed up at this party, and there was 80s music playing. And oh, yeah, okay. I was just, some of you don't know what that is. But now my youngest son, my youngest son, who's 11, he's like, Mom, 80s music is awesome. I'm like, I'm so happy right now. Because that used to be me with my dad. Dad, I love this 50s and 60s music. <laughs> He'd play the records for us. And so anyways... <laughs> I remember showing up at this party, and Tanya was there, and she had this pixie cut, and she was a um, drum major, so she's like throwing a baton and a gun in the air, and not a real gun. Um, and I remember her and I just connected over 80s music. We stood on top of the picnic table and danced and sang every song. And I was passionately following Jesus, and I had to leave the party, and she's like, where are you going? I said, well, I'm actually worship leading at youth tonight. Why don't you come and see? And she goes, Okay. <laughs> So she shows up for the rehearsal. Like, I gave her the address. She shows up for the rehearsal, and she's sitting on the front, and she's like this, like, the whole time. And she's like, what is this? Like, what's going on? And then, like, during worship that night, she just was, like, kind of, like, looking around at everything. And then, I kid you not, I could not get rid of her. She was at my house. She was at our house every single day. Every single day. I was like, oh, you're here again. But we, my parents had kind of an open, open door policy. Our door was always open, so there was young people from the whole neighborhood always at our house, and Tanya was one of them, and we had two fridges because we needed them, and Costco was our friend. But I think about that. It was a month, not, not a month later, so she came and see. It wasn't just like this moment of come and see. It wasn't like just come to church. I mean, for me, it was a lot. She started to come and see life with us. And it was a month later, she was in the garage with my dad, and um, they were having this conversation. She's asking a million and one questions, because that's what Tanya does still to this day. And so we're sitting there, and dad brings her inside. He's like, hey, we're going to pray for Tanya. And she wants to give her life to Jesus. 
So we pray for her, and we all surround her and lay hands on her, and she gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. She starts speaking in tongues. She's like, what is happening? I mean, it was just the funniest. That night, she was sleeping on the trundle bed in my room, and she wouldn't stop speaking in tongues. I was like, I love you, but please shut up. I actually wanted to sleep. So, um, <laughs> but you think about this flow-on effect, right? Someone says, taste and see to you. Someone says, come and see to you. You come and you see. You taste and you see that he's good. And then, you know, when we understand the goodness of the gospel, it should be the most natural thing for it to flow out of our lives. And if it's not, then maybe, maybe today's the day to go, God, what do I not understand about your goodness or your nature that I'm keeping this to myself? Because when we understand the goodness and the kindness of his nature and who he truly is, we're like, oh, we can't help but give it away. You know, I'm going to read. I've said come and see a few times because there's a really amazing um, piece of text in, in John that I'm going to read to you in a moment. But I love this piece of scripture, this piece of text, because it breaks down really the come and see in a way that is so natural for each and every one of us to do. John, the Baptist, was the one who was born literally to make a way for Jesus. Now, if you think about all of us, we are all born again to make a way for Jesus in other people's lives, aren't we? Isn't that amazing? When you're born again, automatically you become one who can make a way, make the path straight for other people to come to Jesus. That is amazing. When we are born again, make straight the way of the Lord. But what's so interesting is, I'm going to read this to you, is that it's a couple of times that the, this line, come and see, is said. So let's go to John 1, 35 through 51. John 1, 35 through 51. The next day, so this is right after Jesus had been baptized. So John makes a way for Jesus and then baptizes him. This is the moment where, you know, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove and everyone can hear that this is my son. God is saying, guys, this is the one. This is the Messiah. He's the one in whom I am well pleased. And so right after that, it says the next day, John, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I love Jesus. What do you want? <laughs> but how interesting, like John had to have no ego in the game. If you think about that, he knew his place was to make a way. And because his disciples left him, like, this is actually the guy we were looking for. Thanks, John. <laughs> and Jesus says, what do you want? Um, or they said, where are you staying? Sorry, let me go back. What do you want? They said, rabbi, which means teacher. So they already recognized who he was, that he was a rabbi. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Let's just stop there for a moment. What I want to explain to you, what's different with the Hebrew culture is that, see, they weren't like, hey, what platform are you going to go teach on, Jesus, so we can hear your teaching and maybe do what you say? Where are you staying? Let us come and sit with you, experience with you. And he says, come, and you will see. I love Jesus because he wasn't just saying, come see the place where I'm hanging out. He's like, come, and you're going to see. Your eyes will be opened. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had, sorry, who had heard John, um, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Do you see that? When you find Jesus, I mean, you guys think about this. Peter, um, Andrew was following John the Baptist. Peter wasn't. Simon Peter wasn't. Simon Peter is the one who stepped up and helped birth the church. And his brother, imagine his brother was like, I don't want, I'm jealous. I don't want really Simon Peter. He's kind of a loud mouth. I want to be the one who sees like the Messiah. But he could not believe what he had. He went to his brother, Simon Peter. He shared already the good news. This guy, we found him. You got to come. And it says this, Jesus looked at him. The moment Jesus looked at Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which then translated as Peter. Okay, even that. Think about that moment right there. There are people that are seeking. They find Jesus. You think about Peter. He needed a name change, that his name wouldn't be Reed, but he would be Rock. And right away, the moment he encounters Jesus, tastes and sees that he is good and his name is changed. How many of you know you have friends in your world that you need to bring to show Jesus because they need a name change? How many of you needed a name change? The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. And I love even the honesty. And Nathaniel was like, time out, no, no, no. The honesty that came out. You have those friends, right, that are questioning. I'm sorry, but can church really, the roof will not fall in when I walk in? Come and see. (laughs) It will not fall in. (laughs) Come to my community group. Come and see. These people are normal, a little weird, but normal. Because we're all a little bit weird, aren't we? Every single person. If you're not weird, I will help you lay hands on you. No, I'm just kidding. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here truly is an Israelite, in him there is no deceit. Do you love that Jesus speaks to the purity of Nathanael? He sees him, just like he saw Simon. How do you know me? He knows him because he's God, you guys. (laughs) Nathanael asked, but this is the revelation. This is the revelation Nathanael needed. See, let's just break this down and think about that for a moment. Your friends, God knows the revelation they need to find him. So why do we try to contrive something when God knows how to meet them and speak to them and change their name and realize where they are and give a word of knowledge that will change them. Hello. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, well, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Do you know the fig tree is the place where the rabbis would teach? And he was learning, he was gleaning, and Jesus saw him. He saw him in the spirit once again because he is God. He had a word of knowledge of where he was, but that was enough for Nathaniel to turn. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the sun of man. What is so interesting is even prophetically what that is. Jesus is that. Jesus opened heaven for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth that is in heaven. He knew what things to speak to each individual heart. He knows what to speak to your heart. When I stood in the presence of God and we sang, I could sing of your love forever, God knew how desperately I was searching for true love. 
And thank God there was obedience from my parents who I was so cruel and mean and rejected and talked down to and was rebellious around that they did not give up on me. That my sister, when I was mean and cruel and all of the things as well, she didn't give up on me. So that there was plenty of come and see moments and when I finally stood and came and saw, I tasted and saw that he was good and I was never the same. I never turned back. So John the Baptist makes a way for Jesus. Jesus then says, come and see. And then the natural flow-on effect is that his disciples say, come and see. So when we are followers of Jesus, it's the most natural thing for us to be saying, come and see, taste and see. He is so good. He is flowing out of me. That's why the way we live our lives, do we live come and see lives? Do we live lives where in the storms and in the highs and in the lows, we're still saying, come and see, come and see. Yes, I'm in this storm, but yes, I know whom the rock is on which I stand. Come and see. Taste and see that when we sing, you are good. You're good. He's never going to let us down. That we believe that he is the one that doesn't let us down. The world and troubles and the enemy comes and lets us down, but he doesn't let us down. Come and see this God who is so good. When your mother-in-law has a brain tumor and you don't know what is happening, he is good in the midst of it. That it does not rock me because I love him and he loves me and he loves her and he is good. Do we live taste and see lives? Do we live lives like that? Because now there is this open invitation. I mean, it started, see, like I was saying, in the Hebraic culture, they did life together. See, in Greek culture, even at the time, the teachers or those that were up there would come and they would teach and they would talk about what they had learned and then people would walk away. But see, in Hebraic culture, they said, come, let's do life together. Come taste and see. See, Sundays, I want to break this down for you. The Sundays, we gather under the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, um, and the evangelists teaching so that we can be equipped to, so that we are the because we are the body of Christ to go out there and do life together. See, why do you think that we have community groups? Why do you think we call this a community? Because we want to do life together. We want to experience his goodness together. We want to learn together. We want to keep doing, and see, here's the deal. Community groups will open you up to a world where you will begin to be transformed, and then you're going to naturally make friends that you're going to do life with, whether you're in community group or not. And then you find you are learning as you go, one foot in front of the other. You are being transformed. You're living a come and see life. And see, this is the way Jesus was. He says, come with me. Come and see. And he took the most unlikely Hebrew crew, motley crew of men, and then allowed women to come along as well. <gasps> Seriously. And he said, come, let's do life together. And he opened up this world, and now it is open to the whole world. John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the whole world that he came, he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whoever, who is this invitation for? Who is this invitation for? The invitation to whoever. It is for whoever. Who should I invite to come along and come and see? Whoever. You're like wondering, writing a list. Whoever. Seriously, it is for whoever. It is for whoever, whoever. Because God so loved the world. 
that he came for all of us, for whoever, for all of us, for the least of these. While our backs were, were still turned, he came and he died. Now, I want to I wanna break something down for you, is that we are all evangelists. We are all called to do the work of the evangelist. Now, we have bought into a lie in church culture that it is one type of person who goes out and, and stands on a podium in a stadium and brings the lost home. That is a lie. That is, an, that is a person who equips all of us to do the work of the evangelist. But I want to read to you, if you don't believe me, because see, the moment I said evangelist, some of you were like, <laughs> because you get some picture in your mind, right, of what an evangelist, maybe you're seeing the tele-evangelist that your grandma used to watch. That was asking for money, and it made you mad. Made you mad at the church. Maybe that's what you see. Maybe you see someone who carries the title of evangelist so-and-so and walks around and makes you feel less than until you can come up to their standard. Maybe, you know, it, it, it has to do with you think handing out tracts. You're like, do I have to hand out tracts? Do I need to stand in the subway? Do I have to put them in car doors? Do I, what do I have to do? You know what? Tracts in their time, ask my dad. They were the thing. This hippie walked around the beach. These two... Mom didn't. She said she watched him. Is that right? She'd hold them and give them to dad to hand out. <laughs> but in their time, right? I mean, hippies were coming to Jesus. And thank God they did because I stand here today because two hippies came to Jesus. And you know what? If that works for you and you have got it and you're like, I'm handing stuff out, then do it. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. But you're getting these pictures in your mind that stop you from loving people. Maybe you even look at the church. And you look at this series that we're doing right now. What's their intention? Is this a multi-level marketing plan to bring people to Jesus? Right? And we can look at the church and be mad. and be. But here we get all of these things in our head. And instead, see, here's the deal. Is we want to equip you and activate you to walk out those doors and just go love people in your sphere of influence and say, come and see, taste and see, because I've got that sort of life. I've got to come and see sort of life. That is our hope for you. People are not notches on our belts. They are not a deal that we seal. We are not treating people like a business transaction because that is not love. My sister, my mother, my father, people along the way, they didn't treat me like a business transaction, nervous to pray me a prayer and bring me to Jesus. Do you know what? When you say, come and see, it is going to be the most natural thing. You'll find yourself praying people to into relationship with Jesus when you just keep saying, just come and see. Just come and see. Just taste and see. He's good. doesn't matter what you think or what you feel. Now, see, I told you that you're all evangelists, but you might be thinking, well, that's just her idea. Well, I'm going to read you a scripture that tells you that you are. Second <laughs> Timothy 4, 1 through 5. In the presence of God, of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Okay, you ready? This is your charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Those three go together. Some of you like to correct and rebuke. It also says encourage. With great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Sound familiar? Sound like where we might be right now? Instead, to suit their own desires, hello, <laughs> they will gather around them in a great number to teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We're right in the middle of this, everybody. But you, but you, you sitting in this room, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. There couldn't be a more ripe time where we need to know the word of God, where we need to be prepared in and out of every season, where people walk up to me in the airport when I'm wearing my She is Free shirt, and they say, what are you free from? And I'm like, well, have a seat. Let me tell you what I'm free from. (laughs) And that happened, and this man was like, oh, okay. And it was on the day of the Women's March, so he probably thought that's why I was wearing it. I was like, oh, let me tell you what I'm free from. He didn't know he was going to get Jesus. So what I want to do as I bring this to a close is I've got a video I want to show you. It's a simple video. We have played it before. And, you know, you'll see that it's a She Is Free video. This is not a plug for She Is Free. It it genuinely isn't, although you can come. I would like you to come. (laughs) That was my plug. Um, But this is about, this is my cousin. My cousin Megan, whose father, my mom's twin brother, has just passed away and went to be with Jesus, who my mom relentlessly loved and said, come and see for years. And he came and he saw and, oh, man. But this is her story, and I want to show this to you because we just lived a life of come and see after we gave our lives to Jesus, and here's my cousin's story. I'm Megan Anderson, and I live here in Federal Way, Washington. Growing up, I didn't go to church. My family didn't really, we just wasn't something that we did. I wasn't something I really sought out, but it just, it didn't feel missing because I never really experienced it. I would go with my grandmother every once in a while and just experience church that way. It was just kind of a here and there sort of thing. Before I met God and accepted Jesus into my life, I was kind of lost, but I didn't know it. And I had these broken pieces of myself and of my life, but I didn't realize they were there. It was just part of who I was. I thought it was normal. I was invited to She Is Free by family members who stepped out in faith that I would accept that invitation, not even knowing my current circumstances, not knowing my my personal life at the time, and it changed my life. When I first heard about She Is Free, I thought, mm, there's no way I can go to New York. I'm a mom, I have two kids, there's no way. I remember writing it in my journal and just saying, okay, if I'm meant to go, I'll go. And three or four months before the conference, I actually won a thousand dollars on a local radio station contest and instantly as soon as I hung up the phone from winning that contest I was like I'm going to New York that's why I won that and I remember feeling very nervous I still wasn't quite sure what I was doing but I just knew that's what I had to do my husband was like okay well let's make a vacation of it so I went to the conference and then he joined me there and we got to stay in Manhattan and it ended up being one of the best things that's ever happened in my life I felt like I was stepping into a part of my life that hadn't been there before, and I wanted it to stay. My husband was an atheist when I married him. I knew that that was going to be an area where I was going to have to speak up and say something if I wanted this to be a part of my life. When he came Saturday night after the conference was over, you know, we were talking, catching up, things I'd done, and then he just, he was like, so are you Christian now? (laughs) I was kind of like, um, yeah, I guess I am. (laughs) I remember that night really well. I was walking down the street and she's waving her hands and she was just filled with this this excitement. And I was like, what's going on? It was a completely different person. And I said, so so what's the deal? Are are you like starting to believe this stuff? And she told me, yeah. And I didn't I didn't think that I didn't think that that was a game changer at all. I thought, ah, 
you know, she can she can do that. As long as she's okay with me being an atheist, you know, that's fine. Just don't try to, to push that on me. So I felt like my biggest job was just to be an example, to live a life that people want to live too. Not to change people, not to tell them what they're doing wrong. My job is to be like Christ. I saw people who were living for God and loving their life and that's, that's what I wanted to portray to my husband and to my kids. And we came home and the first thing I said was, I think I want to start going to church. And he ended up faithfully coming with me every week. I feel like God was taking over and he was putting him in the right places that he needed to be. We went to church and, uh, and the, I, the minute I walked in, I felt um, like a warmth. It felt like I was where I was supposed to be, and I didn't expect that. I just know that that, that was a day when I, I said, I need you, God. You just have to trust, and that's hard. It's hard to let go and to take one step, and then to take another step, and then to take another step. You don't know the end result, but you know that someone does. I was an atheist, and I thought I had it all figured out. And the minute I set foot in that church, I realized I didn't have anything figured out. And it was all because of an invitation. And I feel like looking back, all of these steps were laid out for me. I didn't realize I would have gone to New York and my life would have done a complete turnaround, but this is where I am, and looking back, I can see how all of those steps led to where I'm at now. All through that one, one conference, that one invitation has changed everything in our lives, and if that can do the same thing for someone else, it'll be worth you know, every invitation a million times over. I was invited, and it changed my life. So. I would just encourage everyone to invite someone. You never know, they might say no, but they might say yes. And they might be in my situation next year, looking back going, wow, that changed my life. Hello, <laughs> how is everyone? <laughs> yeah, praise God. I want everyone to do something. Grab these invitations that are on your seats. And the team can go ahead and come up if they're gonna come and play at all. Every single one, take the ones in your row, take all of them. Can I tell you something? Because a couple years ago, my husband said this one thing. He said, you know, in a week's time, these can either be landfill or a life changed. And these will be obsolete next week, and they will become landfill. So grab as many as you can, because what's so interesting is I've had, I've had every, I have every community in my wallet, because I am at all of them all the time. And so, but every time I'm walking down the street, you will be amazed. I start a conversation, I'm like, oh my gosh. And there's a moment to give it away. There's always a moment to have a conversation and connect with someone. So what I want to do right now is I want everyone to hold this in your hand. Hold your invitation or invitations in your hand. Because here's what I want to do. I want to activate you to take this and do the work of the evangelist. Not just this week, but every week, every day of your life. So I just want you to hold this in your hand, and I want you to begin to picture who that is or just ask God for opportunities. Sometimes you may be going, I don't know. Who am I? I don't have anyone to invite. Well, just ask God for opportunities. Do you think he is more excited than you about giving opportunities to bring people back to his heart? He can give you multiple opportunities. You could be overwhelmed this week with opportunity if you want to be. You just got to ask. So we give these invitations to you, God. We hold them in our hands, and we say, speak to us. Activate us. 
to do the work of the evangelist. It is not for one person, it is for all of us to do that we would be ready in and out of every season to preach your word, to bring your word, to speak your truth, to bring love, to bring people close to you, to live a life that says come and see. So God, speak to us. I, I right now, I command fear to go in Jesus' name. I bind fear in the name of Jesus and send it to the foot of the cross where Jesus will deal with that fear as he sees fit. And I ask that your love would overwhelm people. Overwhelm every single person in this room with your ridiculous, over-the-top, unrelenting love, so much so that they cannot keep it to themselves. We ask for opportunities, God, that this would not just be a card. We would stop seeing church as a thing that we do and as a life that we live. We are the church. We build the church. We bring her wherever we go. We show people who you are. So, God, may we rise up and step up and walk in boldness and power and love. It says when the Holy Spirit comes upon us that your boldness comes upon us. So may we be bold and not worry about what to say, but may we take these and invite people to come home this Good Friday, this Easter, in our homes, in our lives, over meals, over everything that we do. God, may we do the work of the evangelist in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.